0: Well, thanks to everyone who has uh, participated this morning those that participated up here and also our great team our tech giants who are working the live stream and all the sound and everything else so thanks to everyone who is contributing Uh, we've got a team downstairs with some kids as well so great things happening and uh, we continue to move forward and navigate this time we are in the middle of a series praying with the apostle paul And today we are looking at Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 14 to 21. Uh, Martin Luther, great reformer, said this. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. What do you think of that? It's a great quote, isn't it? It's a challenge though, I think. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. He's suggesting That prayer is the soul's breath. This is how we are in communion with God. And maybe it's not that formal prayer where we create an hour where we're praying constantly, but maybe it's this ongoing awareness that God is present and available to us for the short prayers, for the long prayers, for the prayers that we utter without words, just groans sometimes. To be a Christian without prayer is no more impossible than to be alive without breathing. 1 Thessalonians 5 encourages us, Pray without ceasing, nonstop. 1 John 5 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So if we have this great understanding of prayer, that it's of the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and if we have this encouragement to pray without ceasing, And if we have this assurance that God hears us when we pray, why don't we pray more? That's the question I have for myself. I mean, everything is in our favor to pray, pray, pray. I mean, God made a way for us to come boldly to the throne of grace, not in our own merits, but in the merits of Jesus. He's done everything to make this accessible to us. Why don't you pray more? Well, I think we have a lot of reasons, excuses. And so here is our homework for today. To go home, or if you're at home already, take out a piece of paper and write down all of your reasons, maybe excuses, for why we don't pray more. I did this this week. This was my exercise. Why don't I pray more? With all of this encouragement, with all of this understanding, why don't I pray more? Well, you might come up with, you know, reasons like I don't have enough time or I don't particularly feel worthy, whatever, you come up with your own reasons. Here's my top three, and they might surprise you. Number one, I don't feel like praying. <laughs> Most of the time, I just don't feel like praying. I have the same problem with exercise, by the way. I just, I'm not feeling it. And uh, I think we do that with prayer too. And and that reveals in me a, a fundamental misunderstanding about what prayer is. Sometimes we pray in response to God's grace and God's blessing and God's outpouring. But I think the prayers that really matter are the prayers we pray when we don't feel like it. I remember being in a season in my life where I didn't feel like praying. I didn't feel like reading scripture. I didn't feel like going to the church. It's really bad when a pastor doesn't feel like going to church. But I'm just being honest, brutally honest with you. I just wasn't feeling it. All I could do during that season was grab a hold of one simple prayer in scripture, memorize it and say it every single morning. That was my discipline. That was my only prayer for a period of time. Maybe that's what you need to do to get started, to prime the pump. Uh, Just find a prayer, a simple prayer and pray it every morning as you get up because sometimes we don't feel like praying. Well, here's my number two excuse. I don't know how to pray. You're like, come on, dude. Yeah, that's, that's for Eric, dude. Uh, you're a pastor. Well, you've been trained in prayer. You've, you've been immersed in scripture. I've been at this almost 30 years. I should know how to pray by now. But do you ever get into a situation where you think, how do I pray about this? I mean, John got up and prayed about COVID today. How do we pray about this situation? You're facing someone who's at the end of their life and, and you're wondering, how do I pray about this? We're lost for words sometimes. And because of that, we hesitate instead of just throwing ourselves on the mercy of God. That's why I always have to remember the the verses that tell us that the Spirit helps us to pray with groans that cannot be uttered. Sometimes our best prayer is just a groan to God. Sometimes I hesitate, though, because I don't feel that I know how to pray. I think the disciples were like that, too. They came to Jesus one day and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Maybe that's our prayer. God, teach me to pray. Give me the words. Partly that's why we're doing this series as well. Okay, here's my third reason. I think this is the hardest one of all, and you might identify with this, and it is, in fact, dangerous for me to admit this. One of the reasons why I sometimes don't pray as I should is because I tried it, and it didn't work. Have you been there? Praying for something. Praying for a miracle. Praying with... All of these assurances praying with all that god has done and it didn't work remember praying for my dad when he was sick he didn't get better what happened and i stopped praying because it didn't work and again i think it reveals for me the misunderstanding and misconception i have about prayer and its activity in my life I, i use it as kind of a magical formula I want to be able to you know put the prayer in and get my result out and i think when i'm honest about this about why sometimes i hesitate to pray because it didn't work i reveal my misunderstanding about what prayer is and how prayer actually works so that's why we're doing this series to look at paul because i think paul wrestles with this honestly as well paul not only encourages us to pray and to keep on praying but he also sets an example for us on how to pray and how maybe to elevate our prayer life beyond the shopping list. I mean, if you've got a shopping list, bring it to God. See what he does with it. (laughs) If you've got a complaint, bring that to God too. Uh, He's big enough to take it. But sometimes we want to elevate our prayer life a little bit, and that's why we're looking at this and looking to Paul. And so we see that happening here in the passage that Sarah read for us in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Actually, to get the full force of this, you have to go back to Ephesians 3 and verse 1. And when you go there, you realize that Paul starts a sentence and then interrupts it. He stops. He's about to say something, kind of a concluding sentence. And then he says, but wait a minute. You've heard about the gospel, right? And he gets all excited and he goes into one of his long sentences with no punctuation. Paul is famous for this. In Ephesians chapter 1, I think he uses... 220 words without a punctuation mark because he just gets so excited about what he's saying. And he does it again at the beginning of Ephesians. And then when it comes to verse 14, he goes, oh, that's what I was saying. And he gets back to it. For this reason, I kneel before God. So he explains the heart of the gospel as it relates especially to non-Jewish believers in Christ, the Gentiles. And then he wraps it all up in a prayer. And this prayer that we read is actually the end of the first section of the book of Ephesians. If you want to have a clue, a kind of a key to reading Paul's letters, he usually divides it into two sections. The first section is all theology. It's the dense, rich stuff. And then the second section is all practice. We're right at that midway point in Ephesians. So he wraps it all up with a prayer. Well, what is this prayer about? How does Paul elevate our prayer life through this prayer? Well, the prayer is about power. That's the key word. don't know if you picked that up, but glance through it if you have it open. Uh, The key word really in this whole prayer is power. And we introduced this last week a little bit, the word dunamis in Greek, and we get the English word what? Dynamite! And don't worry, like I said last week, we're not about to blow stuff up. Um, It's more nuanced than that. Um, This word power is used in the New Testament, in a variety of ways and there's three specific ways that it's used and paul uses all three ways in this prayer so that's what we're going to tap into this morning the three ways that paul prays for power and we can pray these two. First of all the power of integrity dunamis in greek it has a moral quality to it it's a particular power that brings a moral integrity to a person He prays that God would empower them with an inner strength through his spirit. And when the Greeks heard about the inner man, what they think of is reason, conscience, and will. That's what constitutes the inner person or the inner being. So when Paul prays that you'd be strengthened with power in the inner person, he's praying for a kind of moral power and integrity that affects your conscience, your reason, and your will. In other words, to know what is right and to have the strength to do it. That's what Paul is praying. To know what is morally right and to have the strength to do it. What a great prayer uh, for all of us, but especially for our leaders today. I, we, we go to an election again tomorrow. We're going in a civic election with the city of Calgary. And many people have said, How do I pray? How do I pray into this? Do I pray for a particular candidate? Do I pray for a particular platform? This is a great prayer. (laughs) Pray for integrity. Whoever is going to lead us, pray that they have a moral fortitude to know what is right and to do it. That's the first prayer for power. second one is this, the power of ability. Sometimes dunamis can simply mean the ability to do something well or to know something. That's all it's about. It's about ability. And Paul prays this for them. That you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long, how high, and how deep his love is. This is Paul's prayer. That you'd be able to know God's love. What a great prayer. That you'd have the ability to know God's love, but not in a theoretical way, not in the, the theory of love and how it works. You know, there's a whole scientific exploration into how love actually works. Have you ever explored that? It's depressing. Don't ever do it. I came across this definition from a researcher into the scientific understanding of love. Here's how he defines love. A cognitive, affective state characterized by intrusive and obsessive fantasizing concerning reciprocity of amorous feelings by the object of amorous. I know it's English, but I just don't really understand it. So when you go home and, and your loved one, your, your, your son or daughter, or someone says, I love you, you can say this to them. I reciprocate your amaranth feelings. <laughs> no, we're not talking about the theory of love. We're, we're not talking when Paul says, I want you to understand love. He doesn't want you to be able to articulate what love is all about. He wants you to have the intimate experience of God's love. He wants you to be able to say, as he does, the son of God who loved me, and gave himself for me that's the knowledge of love that paul wants us to have that's a great prayer to pray i think sometimes we wonder how do we learn to love one another how do we do that well and and john mentioned in this crisis and in all the divisions and the polarizations that we're finding in our world today how do we love one another do we just get into the mirror each morning and say you're going to do better today you better love someone It doesn't work. Sheer willpower alone is not going to help us to love one another better. But being immersed in God's love will. If we come to a knowledge of God's love, that love will translate into loving one another. That's what Paul is saying. That's why this power, this ability to know God's love is so important. What a great prayer for our family, for our friends today, that they might know God's love. Okay, the third way powers used. And this is the probably the hardest way for me to talk about this morning. And uh, you'll see why in a minute. Not only the power of integrity and the power of ability, but the power of the extraordinary. The power of the extraordinary. Dynamis, this Greek word often refers to God's inherent power, the power that belongs to his person, his character, who he is. He is not separate from it. It is who he is. This is God's inherent power. And this is what um, sometimes we see being revealed through the miraculous. Paul prays this. He prays about God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That elevates our prayer life. To pray for that kind of power, to pray for the power of the extraordinary. This was actually the foundation of the church in Ephesus. If you take time to go to Acts chapter 19, you come to understand that the church in Ephesus was founded on the extraordinary power of God. Now, Christine and I have been involved in a church plant. Samuel's been involved in church planting. I have to say, I didn't see a whole lot of miracles when I was planting the church. Uh, But the Ephesians did. Listen to Acts chapter 19. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. The extraordinary power of God. What do we do with that? Why don't we see that today sometimes? Now I've got all kinds of reasons why I could give that, you know, why we don't see it on a regular basis. I mean, when we talk about a miracle, It's called a miracle for a reason. It's not called an ordinary, right? (laughs) It kind of stands out as something miraculous. And I think God uses these miracles, especially in the New Testament, first of all, to show his compassion. Jesus moved with compassion, reaches out his hand and heals a person. But second, it reveals the kingdom. And so miracles in the New Testament, they display the kingdom of God. They, They remind us that what we experience now in our brokenness is not how God planned for it to be and so the kingdom breaks through in miracles but also these miracles were meant to authenticate the messenger and so when paul did miracles they said aha he has been with jesus and it authenticated paul and i I can rationalize all those kind of reasons for miracles and yet i still long for this to see god move an extraordinary power in my life in the lives of those around us. And maybe the miracle isn't the kind of miracle that I would anticipate. That's what happened to Paul, actually. We find that Paul had something he called a thorn in the flesh. We find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And listen to what Paul did about this thorn in this flesh. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He was looking for a miracle, wasn't he? But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That was Paul's experience. Paul was yearning for something to be removed from him, something to be taken from him. And when it wasn't, he experienced a miracle, the miracle of God's grace to sustain us in the midst of our suffering. That's also miraculous. Well, what's the bottom line today? How do we elevate our prayer life? Well, here's what I would say. I think we need to pray with greater expectation. We need to pray with expectation, anticipating that God will work in ways that we can't even imagine. I think sometimes in my prayer, I go to God and I pray something, but then I've got all kinds of suggestions on how he can actually answer that prayer. I've got all kinds of ways that I logically see, and I hear this from Paul today, let go of that. God will answer in ways that we can't even imagine. So leave it up to him, but pray with expectation. At a meeting of uh, Baptist leaders back in the 1700s, a newly ordained minister stood up to argue for the value of overseas missions. And he was abruptly interrupted by an older minister who said, young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. That man, his name, the young man, was William Carey. You may have heard that name. Became the father of modern missions. And while I sometimes struggle with some of Carey's story, (laughs) and also how uh, his family really suffered with his decisions to move to India and to engage in missions, I do see the amazing things that God accomplished through him. He was able to translate the Bible into more than six major languages in India. He established Serampore College, which is uh, seen as the second oldest continuously running college in India to this day. It still offers theological and liberal arts education. Uh, he sought social reform in India, including the abolition of infanticide and the abolition of widow burning, which was a thing that he fought against. And he also inspired so many others, Judson, Hudson Taylor, David Livingston, to go out and reach out with the gospel. This was his catchphrase, William Carey's catchphrase, and this ties into our prayer. He said this, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. In that order. Start with our prayer life. Expect great things from God. I know that's a dangerous and risky thing to do because there's sometimes we feel that we have been let down and there's a kind of disappointment with God that can set in. But we need to understand that prayer is a risk as we leave it all at God's feet for him to do above and beyond what we could ask or imagine. Expect great things from God. That's how we elevate our prayer life. In prayer, let's anticipate that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come to you with whatever is on our heart. Thank you that you actually care about us, that you're interested in how we feel and how we think and, and what, uh, what we need. Thank you we, we can cast all of our cares on you because you care for us. But Father, help us to believe bigger, to trust you more, to come to you with greater expectation of what you can and want to do in us and through us by your power. We pray that you would uh, enliven our prayers so that as we come to you in faith that you might work to your glory and to your honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name.